vacation? I, I love vacation. I hope you can tell by the tan I get in the summertime. I love the water. I love being outside. I hate winter. Those of you that love winter, you're sick. <laughs> but uh, I hate winter. I love being outside. I love being in the sun. One of the things I love about vacation is that when you go on vacation, you get out from under stress. Don't you get to see things a little differently? Those things you were worried about, suddenly you're able to see them from a different perspective. Sometimes you can just take a day off. You can see things a little differently. Sometimes you can stay home at a staycation, and it, it can change your mind, right? So to take a pause, a rest, a Sabbath is how it's known in the Scripture. You, you can, and I want to tell you that the way you see the world determines how you're going to live. The way you see God is going to determine how you interact with the world. And after all these years, what I've realized is most people don't see things as they are. They see things as they are. That they look through this filter of their own life and they project on that thing or that person their own emotions. I had somebody say, well, I feel this. This is how people are made. Well, people can't make you feel anyway. People don't have that kind of power. Uh, it's what you're feeling on the inside. It's called reverse judgment. And so a lot of times if people are judging other people, they think those people are judging them. And it's, it's just this lens that we get. And uh, I want to talk to you about and have been talking to you about how we change the world in which we live. The world needs change, right? Needs some help. And number one, you have to realize you have to change yourself. So I've been trying to talk to you about stop shaming one another, loving one another, valuing one another, honoring one another. And in the midst of this, the Lord has begun to share with me some things that I want to talk to you this morning a little bit in response to the prophetic words that I've been receiving, but a lot just in this direction that I sense. If you got time, open a Bible, look at it. If you don't, we'll put it on the screen for, for you. It's Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. Just one verse. I'm reading New American. But as for my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, say different, because he has a different spirit and has followed me unreservedly, I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall possess it. See, the spirit of a man determines so much in our lives. The spirit of us determines the passions that we have, the desires that we had. And Caleb was one of two men that had the ability to recognize that God was taking their children into another line. Everybody had children, but they didn't have any home for them to live in. And God had promised them an inheritance. And Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. The other people, all they could see were the giants in the land. And because those people, the Canaanites and the Hittites, and the Az, they looked like giants. And so they looked at themselves and saw grasshoppers. So the only two people that were able to see the land in which you could go in and get grapes are the people that had a different spirit. You see, your spirit will determine how you see things. And the Bible says that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Bible says that we've been given a spirit of adoption and of wisdom and of revelation. The Bible says that the spirit of a man is the candle, the lamp, the light that illuminates a man's path. What spirit do we have? Are we operating in a good spirit? If the spirit inside of us is dark, we cannot see where we're going and we'll think those are giants or we'll think we're grasshoppers. How you see things is determined by the spirit. Have you ever been around people that are just mean-spirited? They're just always mean. There's always rude. They're just mean-spirited. And then you've got around people that are generous in their spirit. They're kind, right? You can tell the difference instantly. You can feel that aggression or you can feel that generosity. 
The kind of spirit in which you operate will determine what you see and where you go. It will determine whether or not you increase or whether or not you decrease. It will determine whether or not the world has changed through you or whether or not you have submitted yourself to the spirit of the world. I mean, my grandkids are all playing sports now, and I don't understand a lot of it. But anyway, and they talk about team spirit. Anybody talk about team spirit? What that really means, it's not about you, buddy. I really wish we'd take team spirit and talk about our culture. Because it's not about the individual, it's about us. And if we don't work together, it ain't going to be about anybody. We have to have a team spirit. And you try to take an 11-year-old and you try to talk to them about it. It's not just about you, it's about us. I think that analogy could work in the body of Christ, quite frankly. And the second verse I'm going to read this morning is from the prophet Zechariah. It's an Old Testament prophecy given about the future of what's going to take place with God's people. And he said, this is the word of the Lord, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. Say, my spirit. And here's this Old Testament prophet saying, wait a minute, there's going to be a people in the future that are going to be powered by my spirit, not their spirit, not the spirit of the world, not the spirit of this or that, but my spirit is going to empower my people. That word spirit, you almost have to clear your throat to say it. In the Hebrew, means breath. If you say it in the Greek, it's pneuma, pneumonauts. I've taught on being pneumonauts, not astronauts or cosmos, but being moved on the spirit of God. And he, he said, my breath is going to empower my people. And they're going to be empowered by this spirit of breath and of life and of wind that moves them through the reality. It's all going to be done by my spirit, say the Holy Spirit. I am unashamedly a spirit-filled believer, unashamedly. I'm a fourth-generation Pentecostal. I get so tickled when I see things and people are talking about how they discovered new things. I was raised by people, and my great-grandparents laid hands on the sick and saw them recover. This is not new. I have grown up in this move of the Spirit. This church is a Spirit-filled church. It's a charismatic church. It's a Pentecostal church, and I'm unashamedly that. Because to be anything other than that is to be not the church. The church was born by the coming of the Holy Spirit as God breathed into them on the day of resurrection as they waited for the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to them. I believe every one of you ought to live spiritually empowered lives. Lives that have been empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was always talking about how as he left, the Spirit of God was going to come. The drama of this Bible is about how the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became impregnated by God to give birth to Jesus. The Bible is filled with how the Holy Spirit baptized Jesus, how the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus. Jesus was all the time talking about how the Father's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus is infatuated over the top about how there's another one coming. It's the advantage to you. He'll be your helper. The word there is paraclete. Come so close, get so stuck to you that you can't separate you from him. He's going to join God, the Holy Spirit. We talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I, listen, I have all kinds of people talking to me about, is this the end? I don't know. I do know the end is coming. I will tell you that, that we are going. Listen, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. If God wants to come right now, buddy, let's go. 
Can I tell you that God gave you the Holy Spirit so you could live now? And I made a statement. I still got people mad at me when I said something about how most of the time it's a little older people talking about the rapture. And it's true. We have less to talk about. I'm serious. And I made that statement, and I got this group of people all mad at me. And I said, listen, my job today is to talk to people that are 40 years old, got three kids trying to get through school, make the car run, get the water heater fixed. They need the Holy Spirit to live today. I'm not worried about where we're going because I know where we're going. And if he comes, buddy, I'm ready. But can I tell you, I lived through 1988. I lived through 1988. 1988, people start bringing them in these boxes into the back door of the church. 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in 1988. Do you know I use that for everything is worth? I led people to Christ all year. 88 was a great year for me. I just led them to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus didn't come. But that guy had a second edition. 89 reasons why God was come in 1989. And I just used that deception and untwisted it and brought people to Christ. Anybody remember 1999? You know, Bill Clinton had been in office in 1999, and, and there was another bug. It wasn't COVID. It was that Y2K bug. Anybody remember this? And the lights were going to go off. And, and we were, I had people buying generators. They, they come to me and wanted me to buy a generator, power the building. I said, if the lights go off, I'll shine. I ain't buying no generator. I had people leave the church. They wanted me to sell buckets of food to put in the basement because the lights were going to go off and Y2K and, and, anybody notice the lights are on this morning? Anybody remember 2012? 2012 it was something about an asteroid and over here in Asia. And I know people in this community that sold their house and moved because God was going to come in 2000. Have you noticed? We still here. Now I'm getting all this stuff. Here's what your pastor tried to say to you. We're going to make it. We're going to live. We're going to live through this moment. If it's the last moment, we're going to fly. And that's what's going to happen. And if I get to stay another day, I'm going to talk to you about the love of Jesus. I'm going to talk to you about how Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit so that you could live through Monday and the first day of school. I'm going to talk to you about how God wants to help you live today. Because today has enough sorrow for itself, and I'm not going to worry much about tomorrow. And everybody that knows anything knows that tomorrow has a... Say, today. I'm here. I, I am one in whom God loves and lives. And I'm empowered by His presence. We need to talk a little more about how the power of the Holy Spirit is here for us to live. And not so much about what's going to happen when it's over. Because when it's over, we're just going to float around, right? I've already downloaded my apps for those Disney rides in heaven. Because I don't want to stand in line. If you have to stand in line at Disney World, I guarantee you, when we get to heaven, there are going to be so many of you people that I'm going to have to make an appointment to see Jesus. You'll get this in a minute. All this mumbo-jumbo of hypothetically imagining what is and what isn't is just hypothetical. Nobody really knows. Not really. I mean, do you understand? His last words to them were, wait. Just wait. Just wait. Wait until you've been endued with power. 
you know what their question was to that statement? Are you going to restore Israel? Is now the time you're going to rebuild this nation? And you know what he said to them? None of your business. It's not for you to know. Can I tell some of you something? None of your business. And you've made something your business that you don't know. Because those things are in God's hands. Listen, if you get filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of things that you don't need to know. And you'll just go, okay. And, and many people hear what I don't say. I'm not taking sides to anything. I'm just telling you, I don't know, don't care. I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this moment, August 22nd, 2021. And I'm having so much fun. And you can miss a lot of things. They, yeah, but they, they, they say, them, them, they. Yeah, I Googled that too, but they don't know who they are. They who? Who's they? Could I just tell you, they could have just let us die. Boom. They. I get to tell Some say. They say. I don't care. Listen, I'm going to fly when he blows the trumpet. I'm going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit as long as I'm here. I'm unashamedly spirit-filled, but spirit-filled people, listen to me. You don't know everything. He looks at spirit-filled people and says, none of your business. He said, I'm going to send you the paraclete. I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And on the first day of resurrection, it says he breathed. Say he breathed. <sighs> breathe the breath of God into their lives. Do you know that what you breathe will determine how you live? The Bible says Saul went around breathing threats to the body of Christ. Breathing. What we breathe, how we breathe in, what we, what we say, how we talk. It either brings life or it brings death. You and I are living on this borrowed breath of God, this breath that comes into our life. Did you know that there is a breath that can raise the dead? The valley was filled with dry bones. And God asked the prophet Elijah, can these bones live again? And the prophet said, I don't know. And he said to the prophet, breathe to the four winds. And the breath of God that he breathed on the day of Pentecost came into that valley of dry bones. And those fragmented, divided pieces over all this came back together and stood up as one being. God knows how to bring pieces and fragments. I'll prophesy to you. God's going to bring the pieces and the fragments of the body of Christ back together. And she's not going to be separated by her denominational views, her political views, or her cultural accommodation views. She's going to come back together based on one thing. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that brings life into dead things and causes them to stand up. It won't come together because we get our doctrine together. It won't come together because we get our political agenda together. It'll come together because the power of the Holy Spirit will bring back together those who were once dead. What are you breathing? I'm breathing stuff that brings unity and not division. Breathing stuff that I already know. And that is that Jesus died on the cross and he sent his Holy Spirit into our lives. And I am not ashamed to be called spirit-filled. I'm not ashamed to live on the breath of God. Without the Holy Spirit, please understand, there would be no creation, no human race, no virgin birth, no victory over Satan, no Christians, no Bible, no restraining sin in the world, and absolutely no expectation of return of Christ. The Holy Spirit is God today, present, living in the midst of us. And I get it why people are going, ooh, because we have a track record of being extreme, and I don't mean in a good way. I mean, we have a track record. 
of being silly. 1988, 1989, 1999, 2000. And, and I, if I were old enough, I could go back to there. We have, a, we have a, a track record of being silly. The response to that is to say that there is a cessation of the Holy Spirit. So there are this side and that side. Listen, I have been in the woo-woo side. I have seen woo-woo things. Interesting to watch. Uh, I have watched people come up with some of the cockamaniest ideas that I've ever heard in my life. And I could see why people would go, I want nothing to do with that. I'm watching it take place again now. Woo-woo people. And I'm serious. Talking about stuff they don't know anything about. And people that are not spirit-filled are going, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Two extremes. I'm here to tell you, after 50 years of following Christ... 40 years of pastoring, you don't want to resist the power of the Holy Spirit because people are silly. You don't want to resist the power of the Holy Spirit because people say it doesn't exist. The truth is, is that God breathed His Spirit into us, and the fact remains that we are called to be Spirit-filled. And it's not by power, not by might, but by His Spirit. We need Spirit-filled marriages. Marriages that know how to repent and repair. We need spirit-filled families. We need spirit-filled churches. We need spirit-filled jobs. We need a spirit-filled nation. We need to understand that it's not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. I hear people all the time tell me, I've received Jesus. Good for you. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. The one thing he told me to receive was his spirit. In Acts chapter 19, Paul steps into the city of Ephesus and said, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They had children. They had no land. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that Paul laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. Now, before you freak out on me, I pastored a lady one time, and she had the most interesting Bible. I remember looking at her Bible. I'm not going to say her name, but she had the most interesting Bible. She had a black magic marker. And when she came to the part she didn't like, she just went, Thou shalt submit. And he laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke with other tongues. You, if you've used a black highlighter in there because you've been to some church and they were nuts and it scared the snot out of you, go buy a new Bible. Because just because you blacked it out doesn't mean he took it out. It's still there. I mean, have you received the Spirit? That, that's why you're still mean. You love Jesus, but you rude. <laughs> you love Jesus, but you have no manners. You love Jesus, but you like a little on the... You love Jesus, but you're critical. You don't know how to be quiet. You love Jesus, but you get obsessed with stuff on the news. You love Jesus. Listen, 
What transforms you is not information, but impartation. What transforms and changes you is when the Holy Spirit moves on the inside of you and begins to create a new heart in you. What happened? Listen, I am 63 years old. He's still working on me. Every once in a while, he opens a closet door, and I go, shut that. <laughs> There's a lot of people think coming out of the closet's a fun thing. No. Maybe you've ne never had him. Yeah, you just got it, didn't you? <laughs> Keep up here. You're young. <laughs> Listen, if you're around the Lord long enough, he'll open some of your closet doors, too. He and I will stand in front of that closet door once in a while. And then he'll make some statement like, you ain't going any further until you let us clean out that closet. I go, ah! That's what you saw happen up here this morning. I wish you'd let me clean it out without you knowing it. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Of course he says repent. I've heard people talk about repentance my whole life, but not enough about receiving. Repent and receive the Holy Spirit in you. Repent from being, but receive the Holy Spirit who can transform you and change you and move you into the direction that God has for you. Acts chapter 8 says, they received the word of God. They heard the word of God. And they sent Peter and John down to them that they might lay hands on them and prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I am unashamedly Spirit-filled. I'm unashamed of the fact that the Holy Spirit moved into this thing. And there's been this thing going on on the inside of my heart. What kind of spirit do you have? The question has to be asked. It's not enough to simply be a believer or receive Christ as Lord, but you have to receive him as the one that takes over, takes charge. Begins to work and move. And can I tell you, some years will be good. I, I took my grandchildren and my daughter and son-in-law to a meal on Friday at one of my favorite restaurants. It's just absolutely one of my favorite restaurants. And we spent way too much. Have you ever been to a good restaurant? Literally. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, when you get ready to go to lunch on Tuesday, you want a hamburger or you want chicken? You, you want salad, you want taco, pizza. You ain't choosing it because it's good. You know, some people eat to live. Others of us live to eat. No, you, but we went to a nice restaurant, really nice. And the lady brings the menu, and I've been there a couple times this summer. And I looked at her, and I said, well, I, I've had this, and I've had that, and they, Hey, really good. I can still taste them. He says, oh, but you haven't tried this. And this is really good. I want to look at Christians sometimes and say, have you looked at the menu lately? There, there's more in here. Listen, there's more. God, you, have you really understood that he said he'll feed his sheep? Do you understand there's more to this thing than just getting to go to heaven when he blows the trumpet? I'm trying to make you hungry this morning for the reality that you can live in the blessings of God right now. But you got to get a little more hungry. You got to, I think I'll take that. Even when I ate that, I was eating off her plate. 
We used to share meals. Now, you order this, I'll order that. I'll eat a little this, you eat a little that. And, and hey, what do you got? If you, I want. See, don't allow the entrenchment of your view to rob you of what's in view. People get so entrenched in their view that they miss what really is in view. You, you, you got to check the way you see things. And the way you do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to illuminate us and open our eyes. And I really think that Paul's right when he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but be filled with him. And you grieve the Holy Spirit with those corrupt words and those confined concepts. I, I know people in my profession, they determined what they believed in 1969 and it ain't changed. Listen, hot dog gets bad after a while. You got to move into the meat of God. And the way you do that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible says Jesus was filled with and under the control of. It says that Peter was filled with and under the control of. It says that Paul and Stephen and Barnabas were filled with and under the control of. And I would suggest to you that that's the rub. I would suggest to you that it's not the woo-woo, the weirdness, or the other things that have turned us off from being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the sense that if we get filled with, we might lose control of our own life. And I want to tell you, your fear is substantiated. Because to be Spirit-filled will make you get out of the driver's seat. To be spirit-filled will mean you become the co-pilot. To be spirit-filled is that your opinions and your views and your ideas will have to be diminished by the God that now is in control of your life. Man, if I could preach anything to young people, it would be let go. If I could preach anything to some of you out there, it would be you think you're operating in the Holy Spirit because you have a gift or two. But over here in this corner of your life, you're still looking at pictures. I know people that pray in tongues and decks. Listen, when I talk about being spirit-filled, I'm talking about it will be a lifelong journey where he takes over control of every area of your life. He'll move you out of a job where you had a new house and put all your stuff in a horse trailer. And your wife will look at you and say, I didn't hear from God, you better have. And there are still moments 35 years later when she says, you need to go hear from God. I'll be espousing my opinion about something, and she'll look at me and go, have you prayed about that? <laughs> Listen, God wants to take control of your life. God, 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 God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit wants to move into your life. He doesn't want to visit you on Sunday morning. He wants to control every day. He wants to control every thought, every movement. He, listen, he won't debate with you. He won't reason with you. And they reasoned in their hearts. He won't reason with you to be filled with and under the control of the power of the Spirit of God that moves inside of us. Paul 
Saul, Saul, Paul, Saul was breathing threats on the body of Christ until all of a sudden Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up, it says he fell off into the dust and the Lord spoke to him and they led him blind into the city of Samaria. And Ananias came down and the Lord said, Ananias, you pray over him. You lay your hands on him. And when he laid his hands on him, the Bible says that Saul was filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit and scales fell off of his eyes and he began to see that Christians were not to be arrested, but they were to be joined. What kind of view do you have? What kind of sight do you have? What kind of spirit do you have? See, there's no way to look at humanity when it is being starved. There's no way to look at humanity when it's hanging on to an airplane. There's no way to look at suffering and not run a run to it when you're filled with the Spirit of God. Our compassion for one another is far more paramount than our political views. When I see wounded people, I just won't go to them. I don't know. I don't care. See, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have this compassion, this love, and it overrides. I argue with him sometimes down in one of those closets, and he'll say, I don't care. And listen, if, if he won't be impressed with my argument, I don't care about yours. <laughs> Never mind. Just say it with me this morning. Fill me. Take over. Take charge. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to try to talk to you about what it means to be spirit-filled. To be holy people. To have the gifts of the Spirit work in our lives. To walk in the fruit of the Spirit. That'll bring change. When we step out of cliches, and we Pentecostals have them, step out of the cliches, step out of our theology that, listen, 15 years ago I had to grow again because my Pentecostal theology wasn't big enough, and I had to allow God to get bigger in my life. It confused people, but it blessed me. Just say it again, Father. Send me your spirit. Hallelujah. He baptized him by laying hands on him. See, what, what, what view is holding you back? What view is God challenging you? What view is God trying to get you to change? The first thing the Holy Spirit will do is open your eyes. And change your point of view. And instantly, people will know that the Spirit has changed inside of you. And you created me a clean heart, O oh God. Cast me not away from thy presence. Restore unto me the joy 
of my salvation. Some of you have grown so stale and you have no joy because you haven't asked the Holy Spirit to come in a while and take charge. I'm asking God to fill every one of you with the fullness of his spirit. And I promise you I'm being real quiet this morning, real on task. You're going to walk in here some Sunday morning and you're going to go, oh my God, what are they doing? And I'm going to tell you right now, we don't know. Oh, well. Take control really means I'm out of control. There's a great story. The prophet Ezekiel talks about how he saw a river. And he waded out into the river. And he got ankle deep. Then he waded a little further and he got knee deep. Then he waded a little further and he got waist deep. I know a lot of waist deep spirit-filled Christians. Their head's still above water. That's the problem. You'll get it in a minute. But then it says he went in over his head. He said the current was so strong that he could not cross that river. Can I tell you something? You'll never cross the Holy Spirit. The current is so strong. And my prayer has always been in my life, take me deeper. I want to be out there in waters of the presence of God that are way over my head. I don't want to just splash around on the shore. I don't want to get caught up in the conversations that are waist deep, but head still talking. No, I need to be immersed in all that is Holy Spirit. What kind of spirit do you have this morning? Do you have a spirit that might need to go a little deeper? Do you have a spirit that has grown a little bit dry? I'm going to say three things to you in the next five minutes if I can. I know that my life is where it is because of prayer. When I came here in 1986, the only thing I knew how to do was cry out to God. And I began to pray. And there's people in this room that will tell you the only thing I knew to do was pray. I couldn't preach. Probably still can't. But I could pray. The only way you're going to experience the power, the presence, and the fullness of His Spirit is if you become a person of constant prayer. Prayer. Not 21 days. But to pray. Number two, your, your prayer is going to have to have a pattern. Because eventually your spontaneity will just get tired. And he taught them to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know you pray that in 17 seconds. I've tried. It's a 17-second prayer, but it's really not to just be prayed. It really is a guideline of prayer. And if you follow the pattern of prayer, I'm telling you, you'll find the Holy Spirit happens to me morning after morning after morning. I'll be praying, and I'll hit that thing, and all of a sudden, there's the power of the Holy Spirit, and he'll begin to pray and things. I... You have to be a person of prayer. You have to have a pattern of prayer. And number three, you have to pray bold prayers, the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man. I'm not talking about being loud. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm, I'm talking about being so passionate in your prayer that you pray for something that's impossible. 
Corey sitting back here, I could tell a story about how he heard me one Sunday several years ago. And I said, pray the most impossible prayer you can pray. Because it's not worth praying if it's not impossible. I'm praying this morning that every person that's sick with a virus would be healed. I'm praying this morning that it would take that thing and turn it around. Some people say, I'm praying that too. Who have you visited? Who have you visited that's in a COVID ward? Everybody wants to say they're praying. Nobody's going. You cannot stand here and pray that bold prayer with me and not believe that God will call you to that bedside. That's silly. My, my, my prayer book is filled with something that people say doesn't exist. I have had friends die. It does exist. Bold prayer stands up and stands strong and says, God, I need their life back. The only way to pray gold prayers is not to pray your opinion, but to have a word, a scripture. There's many people I refuse to pray with because they're just praying off top of their head. But to have a word from God, you'll live and not die and declare the glory of the Lord. I cried out to the Lord and he heard me and he healed my life. Maybe this one, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in me than he is in the world. No weapon formed against me will stand and will prosper. Great will be the peace of my children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. You have to have a word, a promise from God that is the prophetic answer to the situation that you are in. And when you make your life a life of prayer, when you make a pattern of prayer, and when you know that word, that you can take that word and you can hold it here, then I'm telling you, the spirit-filled realities of God will be yours. I am unashamedly a tongue talker. Unashamedly. It did not cease. It has not passed away. Because there are moments in prayer that I run out of Quentin and I don't know how to pray. And all of a sudden, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, these sounds come out of my mouth. I have no clue what they mean. Sometimes I think I know. But I know that at that moment, the great intercessor of all is praying through his body. Because this is his. And now he's making noises that he wants to make. Sounds that he wants to make. So you've, you've come too late to argue with me about cessationism. And I've already apologized for being silly and probably will be again. My point is that we are living in the midst of 2021. And we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. And we don't have time to get sidetracked with all the debates of this, this, that, and the other. I don't care. What I'm believing for is that we would all receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And be personally changed. And become the people that God's called us to be. Because when we do, our view will change. You have to read the Mishnah to get this, which is the Talmud, which was written prior to the coming of Christ. I don't know if I can do this by memory. I try. But in the century prior 
to the birth of Christ, there was a huge drought. About 90 years, according to the Talmud, according to the rabbinical writers, according to the Mishnah. And one day, about 60, 70 years before the Lord would be born, a prophet by the name of Honi came out. And the Mishnah says, won't you play for me? That Honi took the staff of a shepherd and put it in the dust. And he drew a circle. In the dust. And when he drew the first circle, he prayed this prayer. Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. He took the staff and he went again. And he prayed, not for such a rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill the cisterns, the pits, and the caverns. And he put the staff again and he went around. Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for a rain of thy favor and thy blessing and thy righteousness. Where did he learn such a prayer? Why could he pray such a prayer? I would suggest that he had read about Joshua and a little city called Jericho where they marched around it and praised the Lord. I would suggest that in the history of our faith, there have been men and women that would take and draw a circle and say, I'm not moving until, God, you break the drought, until you pour out your favor. If you don't know about this, my friend Mark Batterson wrote a book called Circle Maker. It's a great book. It's about prayer. Listen to me. If we want to live spirit-powered lives, we're going to have to draw some circles. Have to stay in that circle until God's listen, rain's coming. The power of God is if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He did not say if Quentin prays. He said if my people pray. Didn't say if grandma prays. Didn't say God's looking for a people, a church. If you try to sit on the sidelines of this, this will not work for you. Every morning, 7 o'clock. If my people, he's looking for a people heart of America that will take a stand and just find the scriptures and just pray the word. Just pray the word. If my people, he'll hear, he'll forgive, and he'll heal. That's a good enough promise for me. It's been the, what I've stood on for the last 18 months and I am not moving. I don't care what the latest thing is you Googled. I don't care. If my people, calling you to prayer challenging you this is our little place if you happen to stumble into it the power of his spirit is overwhelming that's 
fully agree, Shelby. Just one of those oddities of life, right? Don't even know what happened. Couldn't explain it if I tried. You'll step into those moments, and there's just God. Lord, I pray this morning that your people would receive an outpouring of your spirit. Father, that open their hearts to a fresh filling, another filling, that they'd open their hearts to allow you to control their lives, that, Father, the power of the Holy Spirit would be seen in signs and wonders and in miracles, that, Father, we would draw a line in the sand and say, not by power or by might, but by your Spirit. never said, I believe in Jesus, now would be a good moment. If you've never recognized that Jesus died for you and rose again, now would be a good moment. It'd be a good moment for you to say, Father, forgive me. It would also be a good moment for you to lift a hand and say, fill me with all that you are. In Jesus' name. Show me things I've never seen. Tell me I, I don't need.